Good morning. If you have your Bibles and there are ones kicking about in the windows, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yeah. Cannot promise that this won't fall halfway through, but it'll be fine. Wonderful. I'm going to read this. I'm going to pray. But so you know, if you're visiting, which we know that some visitors with us, we, um, we're going to go through this uh, book, which is a book that, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, um, his fourth, but we have two of those. And he is very specifically addressing them Tenderly, this is one of Paul's tender psalms, psalms, letters, <laughs> but you'll see as we get to chapter 10, he defends his ministry of, as being an apostle, as being the founder of this church, and he speaks of his, uh, the pain that, it, that he has over them, the desires that he has for them, because in, in their midst, there are some super apostles. There are some people who've come along who accept good pay because um, a worker's uh, demands a pay, uh, whereas Paul never took anything from them. They came along as well, and they are good at speaking, and we know that Paul found that difficult, and um, they did not seem to doubt themselves at all. Paul is full of humility in this letter. And so Paul is addressing those super apostles as well. And we come to chapter 3. So there's a bit of a battle going on. That's the, the theme underneath everything that we are looking at in 2 Corinthians. And we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. So there is a spiritual battle going on for the very life of this church. And we are looking at some of their experiences and obviously trying to apply it to our own lives as God's word is alive today. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters and stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, 
how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Lord, my Redeemer, my Rock. Amen. This, is te this tends to happen in a vacancy committee. When a church is without a pastor, I'm on the board of ministry of the Baptist Union, so I am I'm aware of, and I've been in front of two vacancy committees, so I'm aware of this going on. What happens is this, <clears throat> a vacancy committee comes together and they go to the ministry, the, the, the list of ministers that are recognized with the Baptist Union. So they get this list of ministers who may be in situ or out of the college and they, they go over that and have a wee look at it and, and see if they know anyone. They may share some of their own testimony or about the person. But after that, probably what they would do is they would go online and listen to the minister preach. This is well before the process of inviting the minister to preach. So they would listen just to see the sort of style that the minister has. If I was them, I would go on social media and I would have had a great look at everything and anything I can find about the minister because people are so fickle about what they reveal about themselves online. Just a wee warning to you. It is incredible what people put in their social media posts. And then um, they may take up some references and they ponder over them and see what other people say about that minister. And that might even before they invite the minister for a, an interview with other uh, would-be candidates. But here's what I suggest would be the best action of a vacancy committee, that they should look at the people within the church where that minister ministers. Especially if that minister has been there for many years, have a look at the people that sit under his ministry. He's the shepherd or she's the shepherd, I guess. And so look at the flock. What are they like? Paul, as he's leading into this passage that we're going to look at, and he looks at some comparisons. He's looking at the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And today I'm going to pick out some of those so we can weigh up and be encouraged about the life that we have been called into through Christ Jesus. As Paul is just about to go into that, he says this right at the very end of chapter 2 
and verse 17, he says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. So he's making a comparison between his ministry and the ministry of the super apostles. We do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. So he says, I'm not a peddler, I'm not a schemer, I'm not a charlatan, I'm not doing it for any of those things. I'm not in it for money, sex and power, the unholy trinity that often fail um, leaders within the church. He says, I am in this because of the call of God in my life. And a warning to all of us, woe betide us if we do not respond to God's call in our life, whatever that may be. General calling on our life to be holy as I am holy, says the Lord, or specifically what you know the Lord is calling you to. Woe betide you if you say no. It's a warning to us all. So I preach here this morning and I believe I I stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before me. And I preach in the presence of Christ Jesus, but I see before me just a sea of faces. But I'm extremely conscious of the one who watches, the lover of my soul, the great I am, but the judge. And so I'm very conscious of that. As Paul, as he's about to begin, he knows his calling. He refutes the accusations that he's in it for any other reason other than Jesus says, go, and he's going. So they might have said to Paul, though, um, you say you have authority, You say you have serenity. You say that you have responsibility, but where is your humility? In response, Paul says this to him in these first few verses of chapter three. Do I need to commend myself to you? Do I need to bring a letter to you? No. Do I need... Uh, to write a letter of commendation or do you need to write a letter of commendation for me because I'm involved in other churches all over the place. For me to be acceptable, for me to be have authority, for me, because it was quite a common practice, do I need that? And Paul says, no. The letter of commendation has already been written. And he says this, you are a letter of testimony. Your lives are a testimonial. For either good or bad, when I I leave here and and people find out um, I'm the pastor of Pitlockery Baptist Church, whether I'm in Feldy or McClure or wherever it may be, Kirkmichael Pitlockery, if people have heard of this church, they've heard of this church not really because of me, but because of us, because we are a church family. And, and I, more often than not, get very positive responses. I do. Because of the seriousness we take, the cross of Christ, uh, the, the mission to go and make disciples of all nations, to be salt and light. I'm encouraged when people hear that I'm the pastor of Pitlocker Baptist Church, very seldomly. It might be from other Christians or people who go to church who may be quiet or may, who may, amid that quietness, may pass their judgment. But from those, from my experience, who are out with the church who wouldn't confess to be Christians, when they hear about this church family, 
And this is not about praise and glory for us. This is about what God is doing in our seriousness and abiding in Jesus. I'm encouraged by what I hear. Leslie Newbigin, who wrote a lot in ecclesiology and a lot in missiology, said this. The only possible hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation which believes it. What does that mean? And I'll keep it up there. Yeah. (laughs) A church family that believes in the gospel. A church family that lives out the gospel together as community is the way in which the gospel comes to life. From ink to flesh. So it's just a way of interpreting the gospel and the best way for that to happen is amongst a a group of people who believe it. They're not super Christians, who are not invincible, but whether it's through the suffering of sickness or whether it's through the joy of, of marriage or whatever it may be, we believe it. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. And the person who's gone through treatment believes it. Suffer, lament, definitely, but believe it. And it's very easy to give examples of joyous occasions. So a healthy family is how this lost world will actually taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's precisely through experiencing the gospel lived out through healthy churches that the lost world will want to come and find out. As I know through correspondence over the last couple of days of people have texted me about people they are talking to who are interested in exploring about Jesus. Why? Because they've been watching you and I out in the community. So right at the beginning, I want to say that my role in all of this is to try and help you to be as good a letter of commendation as possible. That's my job. Because it's our job to represent Jesus. And right at the beginning, here in in verse 3, Paul says this, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And from here, Paul starts to show uh, differences between the old and the new, between religion and between faith, between religion and the way of Jesus. He starts comparing Moses to Jesus. He starts comparing the life as a fa- of a Pharisee, and he was incredibly religious man before he met Jesus, to the life of a believer in Jesus, between the old way of approaching God and the new way of approaching God. And what I'm going to do, I think I've got five or six of these I'm going to put up, but there are more, but time permits me only to briefly go to five or six. In this passage where Paul is just comparing, why is he doing this? To encourage you and I that we will represent Jesus as soon as we go out there among our families, with the people we live with, work with, and serve with. And we need to know that, and we need to embrace that, and we need to rest in that, and we need not compromise, because there is a lot of compromise, even in our churches, and therefore I would say that is no gospel at all. 
but the only possible hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation which believes it. So we're going to look at some of these things. And here's the first thing, and I'm not going to, at times I will reflect in some little verses in here, but I would say this is reflecting all the way through. Right at the beginning we see this um, reference to the giving of the Ten Commandments, about the commandments that were given um, through Moses by God. And you can just imagine Moses up there in Mount Sinai chipping away. I believe it's very, as I was looking at this just last night, looking at pictures of the mountain, and uh, it's a granite mountain, and he would have been chiseling away. They must have been quite small stone tablets, because I believe, although I've not been there, but I believe it's a very rugged, steep place. So Charlton Heston coming down in that great movie, whatever it was called, maybe it was called The Ten Commandments, with these great big stones like that, I I just don't envision it like that. But he, um, it's a, Moses, a hard man, he had to be a hard man, a tough man to lead, he was a tough, tough shepherd. And, And he brings that which were to guide God's people and how to live in Ten Commandments. But he then, and I'm just going to be very brief on this, but then reflects from that to, to the new, to say, and it's not like that anymore. That hard religion of the past has been replaced with something quite new. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, that I will give you rest. Be yoked with me. I'm not saying Jesus is soft, but Jesus goes before us. I know that Jesus is the great judge, and in that there is strength. But in his example to us, and in his dealing with us, it's not stony. He desires to write something in our hearts, and it's a lot softer. So I'm just going to say that very briefly as an overview of where we're going to go. Second one. There's a difference between holy things and holy people. Holy things seem to be there in religion a lot. But there's a a calling, there is an emphasis in the New Testament and the New Covenant of a holy people. The stone tablets that Moses uh, chiseled out were revered. They were kept in a holy chest. It was a special place that they were stored in. Only certain people could approach that holy place. So it was holy. It was revered. Um, There's so many examples. There's one example that comes to mind to me when they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant where the stone tablets were kept. And there was very clear guidelines of who was to touch it and how you were to touch it and carry it. And one priest, if memory serves me right, is they stumbled as they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, this holy, holy chest, and it was, they stumbled and it was about to fall and he reached out to protect it. And because he touched it, am I right? He fell down dead. Is that right? Yeah. Touching that which was holy, you were not allowed to do that. And sometimes we bring this. We, we like our traditions in churches. And we like to bring some of our tradi- traditions into church um, Some people treat places like this as holy places. Some people put on their Sunday best. Um, But this is not how we are to be. This is not 
the Jesus way, we are not to focus in on holy things, but the focus in the New Testament is on holy people. In the Old Testament, holy things, if you touch them, could make you holy or could kill you. In the New Testament, we see how people get holy. And as people get holy, the environment which they are in becomes holy. So the doctor's surgery, with our very presence, following the way of Jesus, treating others as Jesus as we would want them to treat us, sharing the love that we have been given to others who may not deserve it, who may be your enemies, is the way of Jesus. And that can become a holy environment. I read an article this week about my boss has asked me to lie. Should I lie for the greater good? And it was a, one of these moral dilemma questions. Right away, as soon as I read it, I thought, no, you can't, your, your boss can't then trust you to tell the truth. But we compromise, but we are not to. Our communion table is not here. But the communion table is not a holy table. It is a piece of oak. There is significance attached to that for us for various degrees. But the importance of the holy, uh, of the communion table is not that it is holy, but that holy people gather around it. Humble people, penitent people, And as they leave that place of gathering around the table together, reflecting in their life and reflecting what Jesus has done, they go for their lunch. And as they have their lunch, that's holy ground. Because they've not left Jesus in here. They've not left the way of Jesus in here. And as they go to school, and that's a hard place to follow Jesus. And as they don't compromise, and as they ask for God's power and spirit to help them, the situations that they find themselves in is a holy place. Tell a story. My daughter, Eden, is third year musical theatre, Royal Conservatoire. And we were quite concerned about Eden because as far as we were concerned in terms of culture, it's the belly of the beast. And she beloved Jesus. And it was only 18 in the course, very small, intense course. And I know that Eden just loved people. Some of those people were very confused some of those people with terrible experiences of church or had a preconception, had no connection with church, but had an idea about church. And Eden, I know for a fact, loved them. Did not hide the fact that she was a believer. And I think it was in her second year. They were doing it, oh yeah, to add to that as well, right at the beginning as well, the, the lecturers said, because of the Me Too movement, um, we do not expect you to do a part that you're uncomfortable with. So if there's a part that says nudity in it and you don't want to be nude, you don't need to do that. And that was really encouraging for Eden because she was worried as an actress how she would have to compromise. And in the second year, there was a reading, in my mind's eye, there's a reading in a small circle. And she looked at the part she was given and it had expletives in it. And in that moment, she decided, I'm just going to do it. And they had the read through and the director was there and Eden's in this part, which she had to swear. And my daughter never swears. I'd be shocked if I heard her swear, much like I'd be shocked if I heard my wife swear. And at the end of it, and I imagine the director left and there was a silence. 
And people in her, her course come up to her and says, Eden, no, no, that's not you. Don't ever do that again. They felt physically uncomfortable because they had watched her and they'd seen something that was different, holy, not as, as certain things, but a holy presence and what Jesus is doing through her life. And they came and said, no, that is holy people making a difference in the world rather than um, elements, buildings, things, and clothing. We do not prize holy artifacts like a splinter from the cross or whatever it may be, but we rejoice that God is making us holy. Sunday is the Sabbath day for many of you, not for me. But a Sabbath day is good and is right for us to serve it, but for us to use it to delight in the Lord. And as he says, Paul, in verse 8, this is the glorious ministry of the Spirit taking us away from religion into a life with God. Third thing, and some of these will be shorter. It's a change from an outward religion that we are called to to something that is inward. After Moses had received the commandments from the Lord, the prophets like Isaiah began to speak of a new giving of the law. Isaiah 2 Verses 2 to 3. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And according to Jeremiah, this law was to be written on minds and on hearts. Chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make between, with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And it turns out actually that Moses knew this was always God's intention. In Deuteronomy, we read, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Even Moses, who brought the commandments in that hard stone, knew that God's intention was to get to the heart, to get to the inner and Ezekiel prophesied that God would reveal his people's hard heart, which was a heart of stone, and that he would write his word on soft hearts of flesh by his Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 11, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep, me, keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God, and then Jesus steps onto history.
Jesus steps in and, and, and a heart transplant is possible. That through his life, death, and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, that is possible. Everything that God had promised, his desires are being fulfilled through his son, the only way it can be possible in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in action. Uniting with us as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides with you. You are holy because he is holy, because of what he has done. Not because of outward things, not because of pulling up my socks, none of that. We know that. I'm reminding us of something that is so obvious to us, but is always worth remembering, remembering in this battle for the soul of the church. And nearly there, it's, it's a change from letter to spirit, and Paul goes on about this as well. If you're going to follow the way of the Old Testament, it's a way of religion. There's many do's and there's many don'ts. And that's all about how to walk with God or how to approach God. And you'll be left with a book of law as long as your arm. You will need laws and you'll need bylaws and all of that. We know of the, the group called the scribes during Jesus' time. The job of those scribes was this to write the laws. So they took one law, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? One law in the 10. And what they did as scribes is part of a religious system of trying to do everything right to please God and stay in relationship with him. They divided it up to 39 subheads. And then they divided those 39 subheads into 39 subheadings. There was so much that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And I believe even putting your false teeth in was seen as a work. And you were not allowed to do that, so you slept with your falsers in. What a burden. What a beast of burden to walk in that way in the hope, in the hope of approaching God. And that is the Islamic way today as well. I must pray five day, times a day. And if I don't, Allah could smite me just like that. And if it is his will, so be it. And even if I live my life according to all that has been passed down to me in the Quran, Allah in his, by his own will could say no and I would be barred from paradise. That's religious spirit. That's do this in the hope that it will be enough Religion is not enough. Come to me, as I said earlier on. Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. The letter kills. In verse six, but the spirit gives life. And I'm nearly there. just deciding what to share and what not to share. I've said a few things there. I'm going to finish on this. 
In here, there's lots of references to the religion of Moses and to Moses, there's a lot of references to fading. Do you know when Moses met the Lord and he put the veil over his face? It was because the glory was fading. That's a significant thing to remember here. That time he spent there after a minute or 10 minutes, whatever it may be, 10 days, it faded. That to me speaks of the old way, the old covenant. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus has fulfilled that. And I also would say this, there is no fading with Jesus. There is a call for us to abide in Jesus. Some of us are just sleepwalking. Let's be perfectly honest. We're sleepwalking. There's things that we know we need to address, but we keep forgetting or we keep sleeping through making that decision. And I put myself into that category. And so what happens is we just become a little bit lukewarm. There's warnings in Scripture about being lukewarm and being spat out of God's mouth. And there are some things that we choose not to bring under the authority of God as revealed in his word. And that in itself, I would say, we're sleepwalking in religion. We're not being obedient. We're not abiding. And yes, there is interpretation, but we also know that we stand on the shoulder of giants who have worked out much of this. I ain't going to go there to redefine um, uh, the Trinity because those much wiser uh, before me have figured that out for me, etc., etc., etc. So the Moses is fading, that way of approaching God is fading, but there is lasting glory with Jesus. What have I put up there? Let's get by these things. Can you? And if that which was transitory came with glory, and it did, Look at the Jewish nation. How much greater is the glory of that which will last? I have got absolutely no doubt in my mind that Jesus is the sole authority in all matters pertaining to faith and life. I have got no problem whatsoever to say that Jesus is higher than any other. I do not believe in Muhammad. I do not believe in Buddha. I do not believe in scientific um, humanism. But I believe in Jesus. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. Therefore, I am bold. When people find Jesus, I think that happens. There's a boldness that overcomes them. They don't want to keep it just to themselves or that's what we should be doing. They came from being bound to being free. My, um, I'm free at last. I'm free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. 
and they come from the shadows to being seen. And Paul unpacks this, and I'm just taking out little snippets to show us. As he is looking at this church, who have got an influence speaking into their lives, an influence that's all about pomp and all about reputation and all about doing the things that need to be done to be socially acceptable, etc., etc. These super apostles that were driving them in a wrong direction. And Paul, the father of this church, with a broken heart, but with a doggedness to fight for them over these seven years of his interaction with them, shares all of these things and gives them the comparison. Don't go back to the old way of life. Don't go back to the way of trying to please God in ways that are hard, are a burden, that actually veil our faces. I look forward to the day when the Jewish nation come to know Jesus as their Messiah. As I read in Scripture, that is what will happen. Just now, that is not the case, although we know of Messianic believers. But there will come a day, I believe, when the veil will be removed Just now when they read what we read, it makes no sense to them. But if you've ever encountered a messianic believer, the way in which they share of who Jesus is, the Messiah, is incredible. The veil has been removed. It has been fulfilled in Jesus. All of that is ours. So here is the challenge to all of us as we've been led in incredible worship that there was no break in it, all the words that we sang we agree with. Well, I would hope so anyway. It reflected scripture. It, was, it allowed us to be thoughtful about where our standing is in the Lord. And now we've heard this challenge from Paul. Are you slipping in because you're not abiding in Jesus into the old way of things again? Are you just saying, well, this is how it's going to be and it's not going to get any better. I would say we need to respond to that. There's a battle going on for our soul where we could therefore, if we remain in that place, be lukewarm and we know the warning again from Jesus is that he will spit us out away from me. I did not know you. There is real warning in there. And so may we take these moments, there may be something, um, lots more to say, but hey-ho. There may be something that you feel God is saying to you and you need to commit to that. I don't know how you do that. I would suggest it has to be with someone who you were told, who told you accountable or you come forward to someone who you trust and ask them to pray, you speak it out. But you don't just sit there in this place of lukewarm, of um, disappointed dreams, of condemnation. Let's, I'm going to ask the guys if they would come up and get ready. I'm going to pause for a moment once they're up here. I'm going to pray and then we'll see what happens. Father, thank you for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you that there is none like him. 
And I thank you because of the Holy Spirit we have found freedom. And that our sins are forgiven. The cross is enough. Father, forgive us if we at all have fallen into that place of it's just a meal ticket uh, to heaven and we have failed to pick up our cross as disciples and follow Jesus. There will be areas, because I know there are many areas in my life where that is the case. Uh, Lord, would you have mercy? Would you forgive? Would you restore? Would you recall once again? um, Lord, would you renew a right spirit within us? Thank you, Jesus, that you don't put a yoke on us which is overburdening, that you have taken that upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you know us. Thank you, Jesus, that you like us. And Father, I thank you that we are the bride of Christ. The young and the old and everyone in between, male and female, rich and poor. I thank you that you have called us the temple of your Holy Spirit and that you abide with us. And I thank you that you're not done with us. And I pray, Lord God, as we leave here in our small pockets of influence or presence, that we would be a a letter of commendation of Jesus, that we would guide people to Jesus, that you would give us that privilege of praying with someone as they pray for the first time to Jesus, and that you would bring in a great harvest, but would you start with their hearts? In the name of Christ, amen.